you to take your copy of God's Word and go to the book of Mark, please, Mark 14, Mark's Gospel in the 14th chapter. If you use one of the Bibles provided for you, it's page 851, 851. The parallel text uh, to this in Luke's Gospel is... Um, uh, Luke 22, and in that text there, uh, Luke records that Jesus earnestly desired to have this Lord's Supper here. Mark 14, verse 22 says this, As they were eating, He took bread. And after blessing it, broke and gave it to them and says, Take, this is My body. He took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. If we were to look at Luke's account of this in chapter 22, we'd find that Luke records another word there. He says, this is the cup of the new covenant there. And there's debate about in manuscripts of, of whether or not that word should be there or not. But the idea is there either way, that this is something that Jesus was instituting there. And he's foretelling a little bit, this isn't the main point, but he's telling uh, that he is going to rise again. He's giving them hope when he says that I won't do this again until when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This death that I'm about to do, he's telling the disciples, this, this cross I'm about to bear is not the final chapter for me. We will be in heaven together. We will be in the kingdom of God, uh, uh, the the ultimate kingdom of God, the established kingdom of God, the recognized kingdom of God together. But what I want to focus on this morning here is, is that word covenant in verse 24. This is the blood of the, the covenant. And so when we come together here and with this Lord's Supper here that we have here, this is part of a covenant. We're going to explore that a little bit this morning we call the title of the message a table of promise because promise has this idea that it's involved in, in covenant. There, there's a promise that's been made. There's, there's a, a, a legal binding agreement that's been forged, if you will. Covenants are very common in this era. And there's different ways that they would do that. And if you read through particularly the Old Testament, you'll see some of these, uh, how that they were, these covenants were brought together. Jesus here is using this language that the, that the people would, would have understood there. But let's stop and pray and ask God's blessing on this, this message together, and, and um, then we'll dive in. Father, just wanted to pause for a minute, and we need your help. Um, I, I dare not preach without recognizing my dependence upon you, and um, I, I do pray that I'd be able to clearly communicate um, what you have for us today. I pray that this would be a good discussion, discussion that's helpful. The only way that's going to happen is if your spirit uses your word to put it on the hearts and the minds of, of all of us who are gathered here today. So this is what we're praying for. 
I meant to pray for Al and Dory Swanson earlier, and I just, I just pray for them that they would be encouraged this day. Continue to bring Dory back to full health, and we're thankful for some positive signs we've seen, but uh, we know that there's, there's more ground to go, and so these are the people whom we love, and, and I just pray that you would minister to them even in this hour now as they recover. In Christ's name we do pray. We're going to dive right in. If, if you're taking notes, the first point would be the importance of this new covenant. Now, in order to understand this, we need to go back in our Bibles to the book of Jeremiah. So go back to the Old Testament in Jeremiah uh, chapter 31. If you're using one of the Bibles provided for you there, it's page 660. But uh, uh, Jeremiah is in, in the, what uh, Protestants refer to as the Old Testament towards the, probably about three-quarters of the way through back there in uh, chapter 31. It, this is uh, where the prophet is, he's calling the nations back to repentance and he's, he's telling them that there's this new covenant that's going to be established. And in order for us to, to fully understand it, we need to understand kind of what's been happening here. But first, let's, let's talk about this new covenant here. It says this in verse 31 of Jeremiah. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. So this is the new covenant that is being established here and that Jesus is instituting here at the Lord's Supper, here with this Passover meal that Jesus is, is uh, 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 presiding over right before his crucifixion. This is why Luke records that Jesus earnestly desired for this to happen. He earnestly wanted this Last Supper to take place because he knew that this was the institution, of, if you will, of this new covenant. But let's go back further in history to have some understanding. Go in your Bibles back to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus 24, second book of the Bible. Exodus 24, and if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you, it's page uh, 65, what we will be reading. And this, this is in the context, and we're kind of jumping into this towards the end of, of from chapter about chapter 19 or 20 or so in the book of Exodus, all through 24 here. This is what has been referred to as the book of the covenant. These few chapters here, and so we'll see Moses making reference to the book of the covenant. This is what he's talking about, what he's writing here of of this covenant that God originally forged with his people. And so um, in verse 1, it says this of chapter 24, Then he, the Lord, said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron and Nabed and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near. And the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. 
So Moses says, this is what God has said. This is what you should do. And if you want to know what all that is, read the chapters before this because it's all laid out, all sorts of rules and all sorts of things that they were to do. And the people said with one voice, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord, verse 4. He rose up early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain in 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins. And half the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So this is the original covenant where God said, This is what I expect of you. I will be your God. You will be my people. This is what I expect. They said, Yes, we will obey. And as a sign of that, there was bloodshed. Sacrificial offering. Part of the blood was thrown on the altar. Part of the blood was thrown on the people, which is kind of gross. This is what happened. It was a very solemn, very serious moment. So, but this covenant didn't stay. Jeremiah 11, if you go to Jeremiah 11, we're going to be turning a little bit this morning here. Jeremiah 11, this is uh, page... 639, if you're using the Bibles provided for you there. Back to the book of Jeremiah. This is what Jeremiah is re- he's, he's, he's recounting. This covenant that we just read about in Exodus 24. How did they do? In verse 6, it says this. Well, actually, verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Hear the words of this covenant and speak To the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Cursed be the man who does not hear the words of this covenant that I have commanded your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. From the iron furnace, saying, Listen to my voice and do all that I commanded you, you, so shall you be my people and I will be your God that I may confirm the oath that I swore to your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey as at this day. Then I answered, so be it, Lord. Jeremiah said, so be it. Verse 6, And the Lord said to me, to Jeremiah, Proclaim all the words to the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem. Hear the words of this covenant and do them. For I solemnly warned your fathers when I brought them up out of the land of Egypt warning them persistently, even to this day, saying, Obey my voice. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear. But everyone walked in the stubbornness of his evil heart. Therefore, I brought upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did not. Again, the Lord said to me, a conspiracy exists among the Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers who refused to hear my words. They've gone after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel, the house of Judah, 
have broken my covenant that I made with their father. You see, this new covenant that Jesus established at the Lord's Supper, at that last Passover before his death, was so important because it, the new covenant replaces a broken covenant. It replaces a covenant that was broken. It, it, there, was, there, was a, there was an agreement between God's people and God that God would be their God and He would bring them out of the, the bondage and that He would, uh, of Egypt and that He would put them into a land that was, was beautiful and that He would take care of them and He would protect them and He would let them know Him more than anyone else. And all they had to do was obey. But they broke the covenant. You see, the reason why this new covenant that Jesus is instituting here is so important is because it's replacing a broken covenant. So when we are at the table this morning, we need to realize that this is part of a a covenantal agreement that has replaced a broken covenant. Now we're going to get into why it's so important in a few minutes here, but we just need to understand first that what we're doing today, we're taking part of, we're, we're, we're participating in the covenant that Jesus himself established. And he said, man could not keep that form of covenant. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to institute a new covenant. We're going to see the details of that in a minute. So, the first part of the importance of the new covenant is that it replaces a broken covenant. Secondly, the new covenant replaces an impersonal covenant. Back in Jeremiah 31, in Jeremiah 31, we see this in, in uh, verse 29. This is page 660 if you're using the Bibles provided for you. In verse 29 of Jeremiah 31, it says, In those days they shall no longer say, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. What does that mean? You ever read something, it's like, okay, what does that mean? What is the Bible talking about sour grapes for? Well, there was a, it was a parable, it was a saying, it was something that the people understood of, of talking about how that when one generation did something, it affected the other generation. So the fathers ate the sour grapes, but it was their children whose teeth were set on edge. They, they felt the effects of their father's decisions because God was dealing with nations rather than in individuals. He was dealing with nations. And so that when the fathers turned away from, from God, then the children suffered because of that. It was an impersonal covenant. God acted on a national level, not a personal level, as seen in, the, in this common proverb here that we just read. In Jeremiah 31 and 33, we see that Jesus, or excuse me, God moves away from this. In verse 33, he says, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and write it on their hearts. We see it's moving to a very personal nature here. So the new covenant replaces an impersonal covenant. We see what God is doing there. It's also important, thirdly, because the new covenant replaces an impure covenant covenantal family look at verse 34 again it says and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying know the lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the lord for i will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more what is that talking about 
So is there a time coming when we don't have to tell people about Jesus? We don't have to tell people about God because everyone's going to know, the whole world's going to know about God? Is that what this is talking about? No, this is what he's talking about here is that there was because of the covenant way it was structured, the first covenant was structured, was that it was uh, God was dealing with a people. He was dealing with a nation. And so you were part of a covenantal family simply by being born into it. So you were born into this family, the, the nation of Israel, so you were part of God's covenantal family. Later on, they had to make that decision to follow after God for themselves. But what was happening is that some were making that decision and some were not. So we had members of the covenantal family saying to each other, you need to follow God. You need to, to uh, uh, know Him. You need to know the Lord. Because people, they were just in that, in their culture, in their heritage. That's all they understood. And so there was this time of, there was actually evangelism that was happening in the covenantal family because some believed and some did not. But this new covenant is, is, is going to change all that going to show that God's going to deal in a different way. So that brings us to number two, the improvements of the covenant, the new covenant. And we're just going to take those three points that we just did and we're going to go in reverse order and show how the new covenant improves upon that. So we just talked about this impure family because we enter the new covenant by faith, the purity of the covenantal family is preserved. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace have you been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Romans chapter 5 and verse 2 says, Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So what is being said here in this new covenant, the only time someone can enter that covenant is not by birth, but by a new birth. It's not by their physical birth. It's not by their heritage. It's not because of the nation that they've been born to. It's because of a new birth that when they place their faith in Jesus Christ, That's how they get into this covenantal family. So all members are believers, and only believers are members of this new covenant. So therefore, in the new covenant, there will no longer be a situation where some members urge other members to know the Lord, because in order to be part of that covenant, they have to know the Lord to begin with. That is what he's saying here. He's saying that no longer is this going to be needed, because I'm going to deal with you very personally. That leads us to the second point. Because the Father personally draws us, the personal nature of the new covenant is established. God doesn't deal with us as nations anymore. He deals with us as individuals, the people of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tables of stone, but on tables of human hearts. So how God is working with His people is through working very specifically by His Spirit, working in the hearts of people, using His Word. This is why in John chapter 6, Jesus says, No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws Him, and I will raise Him up on the last day. This is the reason why it says when, back in Mark 14 where we started this morning when he says this is my, the cup, uh, the, the new covenant which is poured out for many. 
He says, I am going to personally work in many people's lives. The Spirit of God is going to personally work in many people's lives to bring you part into the covenantal family of God. It's different than how it was before. It is a very personal work. And because of that, the purity of the family is preserved. Because, thirdly, Jesus represents us, the new covenant will not be broken. You see, I told you earlier that this covenant that we're in now is, 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 is replacing a broken covenant. And, and it's daunting when I think of like, okay, so if i got to renew my, my covenantal obligations here at the table this morning, and is it up to me to make sure I do not break this covenant? But here's the good news is that, that Jesus is our representative. And because He's our representative, He keeps the covenant. And so when we come, we're renewing our covenantal obligations and our vows, if you will, at the table this morning, but we're doing it in Jesus' name. Understanding that it's Jesus who's going to obey the law perfectly. See, this is the reason why the incarnation was so important. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, I'm sure of this, that he that began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so this is why this is so important that we're at this table here. This is a table of promise. It's a covenantal table. And we're reminded that, yes, there once was a covenant that was broken because man cannot keep the covenant with God. But now there's a new covenant. This is why Jesus says, this is the cup of the new covenant that I'm pouring out for many. And so that I am earnestly desiring, Jesus is saying, to institute this because you guys, you 12 guys and all the followers are going to come after you. You can't keep this covenant, but I'm going to keep it for you. When we come to the table, that's what we're recognizing. We're saying, I am part of a covenantal family because of Jesus. And he's keeping the covenant. Now, that doesn't mean we don't obey. That doesn't mean that we don't repent of our sins. But what it means is that when we do disobey and when we do fall, forgiveness and restoration is available to us. And that's what this table reminds us of, the promise of that. Because Jesus says, forgiveness is here. I've covered your sins. Be reminded of that. Renew your commitment to the covenant through me at the table, is what Jesus is saying. So that's the improvement. Finally, what are the implications of the new covenant on the Lord's Supper? When we take the Lord's Supper, we're embracing Jesus as our representative covenant keeper. This is the reason why the incarnation is so important, that God became man so that man could keep covenant with God. Did you catch that? God became man so man could keep covenant with God. God says, you guys can't do this. And that's the whole reason for the the Ten Commandments and the law and the, and the, the first covenant was to prove that we couldn't do it. Because we always think we can do it. We always overestimate our abilities. Always. And so God says, I will, I'll let you, I will show you that you can't keep this. So he sets it, and sure enough, they fail. Instead of just leaving it there, he says, okay, I'm going to give you a new covenant now. And I'm going to send Jesus, and Jesus is going to live a life of perfect obedience, keeping the covenant, keeping the law. And so thereby, by his act of obedience in the flesh as a human, that he can be your representative. And you can have holiness, and you can have righteous standing before me because of Jesus. 
And so when we come to the table here, when we pick up the bread and we say, this Jesus, remember those words of Jesus should echo in our minds. This is my body which is broken for you. He did this so that we can have a right standing with God. And every time we have the opportunity to do this, we're reminding ourselves of this. We're publicly testifying to everyone around us saying, my hope is in Jesus. It's not in the bread. It's not in the juice. It's in Jesus what it represents. Because he's our covenant keeper. The second implication is this. If we ignore or disrespect the Lord's Supper, we are profaning what God has deemed holy. This is the text in 1 Corinthians 11 that kind of confuses people sometimes where he says this, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks, drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Some people interpret that and say, well, man, if, if, if I'm a sinner, I, I can't come to the table. That's a misunderstanding. What it's saying is that if you're disrespecting the table, if you come to it as a, a, looking at it as just a, something to do because everyone else is doing it, that's when it's profaning it. Earlier I told you that this was part of a, of a, of a feast that, that was happening in the early church or, or a meal that was happening each uh, Sunday morning probably. And, and, and what was happening is that people were, were bringing food and they weren't sharing with other people. And so some people could eat and some people couldn't. And that this part of the service just kind of got morphed into everything else that no longer were people even understanding the significance of it and the symbolism of it. It just became part of the, 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 the meal, if you will, part of the habit. And that's where Paul is saying, you're eating and drinking in an unworthy manner. You're missing the symbolism. You're missing what is going on here. This is one of the reasons why um, we, I'm, we try to do things differently with this sometimes to jar our thinking about this. So last month and this month, what we're doing is, is we're, we're going to invite everyone to come up to the table when we're done uh, with the message here. I'll give further instructions, but people who, who claim to be followers of Christ and say, yes, I want to identify with Jesus Christ, you're invited to the table. We'll be singing songs and people will come forward and, and I'll be breaking up the bread in a symbolic way so that as people are coming to the table, they see the bread being broken. We'll put it in the, in the basket there and then you take it back to your seat and we'll eat and drink together because we need to think through what we're doing. And the whole time we're singing praises to God. We think through, why is this so important? And I'll say this now, I'll say it again later on, but we understand that there are people that, that walking up is difficult and things like that. We'll have someone that can take things to you if you have an issue with mobility. But the point is that we're all coming to the table to remember this because Jesus is one who kept the covenant. We need to make sure that we respect it. And we participate. And refusing to, to participate is disrespecting the table. It's kind of like this. Yesterday I, I, uh, I had the opportunity to do something that I, I've never done before. And that was I, I went to a football game at Camp Randall Stadium. And um, I didn't think any students were going to be in the student section because in the first quarter uh, there was hardly anyone in there. Uh, then I realized, oh, okay, they're still finishing up tailgating. Um, and uh, by halfway through, towards the end of the second quarter, it was, it was full. It was, it was, I got to experience jump around for the first time. Um, I did not jump around. I videoed it. But, um, but 
Before it all started, and the reason why we were able to go is because the person who gave me the ticket to the veteran and, uh, and the first home game, the Badgers do a wonderful thing and give tickets to veterans. And so I was able to go with a friend who's a veteran and uh, had good seats. And uh, they thanked the veterans and things like that. But they, they started the game, but before they started the game, they did a tradition that uh, is in all sports, and that is they said, please rise, and uh, we're going to sing the national anthem. Okay. Um, now, in that moment, something happened. In that moment, it was saying, okay, we are going to do something that has great symbolic meaning here. And we invite everyone to participate. Now, what if, what if I would have just sat with my badger hat on, and I did have a badger hat on, okay? What if I would have just sat there with my hat on, maybe kind of like checking Facebook or something around a bunch of veterans, okay? What, would people have taken issue with that? And they should, right? Because in that moment, what we're saying is, we want to honor the country that we're in. We want to honor people who have fought for our country, and we want to take this moment and uh, be part of this. Now, I could have said, and I did stand, but, but I could have, you know, what if I would just sat there and just said, you know, you know, hey, it's no big deal. It's just a song, okay? It's not even a very good song at that. You know, or, you know, I, you know, everyone else is doing it. It's not a big deal. I, you know, I, I just got to check this email real quick or, or whatever. No. In that moment, we're saying participate in honoring something. You know, that's what we do with Lord's Supper. We're saying, no, we need to stop and we need to, to honor Jesus in obedience to Him. He's the one that asked us to do this. Jesus Himself said, okay, would you do this? And I'm telling you, you need to do this. So we need to anticipate this. We need to understand that this is so important and understand that our participation is something that God wants because it's related to this new covenant that he has established for us. And the last implication is this. When we take the Lord's Supper, we are renewing our covenantal relationship with God through Christ. You know, I, one of my favorite services to do are baptismal services, and I've mentioned this before, um, that because I love it when people give this testimony of I want to identify with Jesus Christ, that's what baptism is. I want people to know that I'm a Christian and I'm publicly following him. Jesus is my Lord, and so this is what I'm going to do. And uh, we, they read the testimony, then as a pastor, I have the wonderful privilege of baptizing people, and I just love those services. And I have said this several times, I've even said it here, that, um, you know, I kind of wish I could get baptized again because of the symbolism there. And, and when I was baptized, I, I, I don't think I fully understood all the symbolism. I knew it was in obedience to God, and so it was a legitimate baptism. But, uh, man, the more I studied, the more I, I just, man, I wish I could get in the water and do it again. But you know what I'm growing to understand? I, I, I'm growing to understand that Jesus and God knew that we would grow in our understanding of the covenant and what we were saying. And so he gave us opportunities to publicly reaffirm that. Right here. Right at the table. 
This is the opportunity for us to say, man, I was baptized and I identify with Christ, and today I'm doing it again, and I'm trusting in Jesus as my covenant keeper to keep this covenant on my behalf and to bring me safe into glory. This is what I'm trusting in, and I'm reaffirming my faith in Jesus Christ. This is what's at the table here. So it's much more than just eating a piece of bread and and drinking a little bit of juice. So in conclusion, I'll conclude by this. We need to embrace, even long for, the opportunity to publicly reaffirm our commitment to Christ and dependence on Him to keep the covenant before God. That's what's happening in this new covenant. Jesus and God, they, 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 Jesus said, I, I, I can't wait. I'm earnestly desiring for this meal because I'm going to start this because all through history, we've had people not able to keep the covenant. And here, what I'm doing on the cross right now is I'm setting this up so I'm going to keep it for you. And I'm going to represent you. And I'm going to say, you remember this. You, you proclaim this. You preach this around a simple meal in your church. So let's pray. Father, I do pray that this time that we spend together uh, around the table will be very helpful and that we would understand the seriousness of it. This is an opportunity for us to publicly say in this meeting, I am a follower of Jesus Christ and I am trusting in Jesus to keep this covenant on my behalf and He is my only hope. And I get to publicly say that again. So this is what we have the chance to do right here at the table. And so I pray that this would be a time that's, um, that draws us closer.